are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. It is perhaps most fitting on this Canadian Thanksgiving weekend to read the gospel story of the healing of the ten lepers in which one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And this thankful one was a Samaritan who threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him for this miraculous delivery from a disease that had made him an outcast. Were not ten made clean? Jesus asks rather rhetorically. The other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus said to him, Get up, go on your way, your faith has made you well. This, however, does not mean that the other nine were suddenly inflicted with the return of their leprous state. So the wellness or the wholeness that the Samaritan received must have somehow gone deeper than simply a physical, bodily healing. And maybe that's something worth pondering on a weekend in which we're invited to pause, perhaps gather with family or friends, share a bit of a feast, and together express gratitude. Pausing long enough to be truly thankful has the potential to change us, or shape us, or fashion us more deeply as a people of gratitude. And that's not a bad thing at all. Well, this gospel reading is paired this evening with a teaching of Jeremiah, addressed to the Judean exiles in captivity in Babylon. And in it, Jeremiah offers words meant to cultivate a most striking way of being Jews in a strange land. Call it, if you will, almost a proto-Thanksgiving teaching in that the people he's addressing don't yet have much to be thankful for. But he's working to cultivate a kind of a Jewish culture there in Babylon that will come to be grateful. Now remember... Jeremiah writes to a defeated and heartbroken people. In 597 before Christ, a deportation of many of Jerusalem's leading citizens had been undertaken by the Babylonian Empire as a way of breaking the back of the city of Jerusalem. Pull out the leading lights, pull out the teachers, the scholars, the leaders, move them off into Babylon and then Jerusalem will be harmless. That was the force of it. It would be just another 11 years till the Babylonians returned, captured and destroyed much of that city, including its grand temple of Solomon. But even at this earlier point, when the time of exile had just begun, most of those folks knew they'd probably never see their beloved city again. So recall Psalm 137, the great lament for all that has been lost. By the waters of Babylon, 
There we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Entertain us with one of your folk songs, the captors had goaded them. Give us a little taste of your quaint little culture. But they can't, or they won't do it, for how could we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Interestingly, though, part of what Jeremiah is suggesting here is that it is indeed time to begin singing the Lord's song right there in the midst of all that had been lost. He writes to them, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. It is that final line about seeking the welfare of the city that is most striking. Here Walter Brueggemann comments, Jews in exile are to work for the well-being, the shalom of the empire and its capital city. The shalom of Judah is dependent upon and derivative from that of Babylon. The imperative bestows upon this vulnerable small community a large missional responsibility. In this way, the community is invited into the larger public process of the empire. Such a horizon prevents the exilic community from withdrawing into its own safe, sectarian existence and gives it work to do, responsibility for the larger community. This is an audacious sort of instruction that Jeremiah is offering. This working for the shalom of Babylon. It might have been far more tempting to do one of two things in captivity. Were you a broken-hearted Jew knowing that your home has been destroyed? It would have been, first of all, easy to go underground as Jews Practice whatever religious rituals were possible. Maybe cheat the system as best you could and remain hurt, embittered, and hostile. Or, secondly, capitulate, accept the defeat. Let yourselves be absorbed into Babylonian culture, which is surely what their captors must have hoped for and expected. But no, As Melissa Ramos says, the letter from Jeremiah that brings a prophetic word from Yahweh to the exiles offers a word of hope, encouragement, and a call to take agency in ways that were possible during the time of exile. And that's precisely what they do. They work for the welfare, the shalom of the city in which they find themselves, but... And this is a very significant but. As a community, they don't just enfold themselves into the life of Babylon. 
but rather they remain Jews, resident aliens in Babylon, cutting a new and very distinctive identity there. It is largely the scholarly consensus that the first version of the collection we know as the Book of Psalms was probably forged during this time to keep the Jewish mother tongue of faith alive. It's also quite likely that Sabbath practice was moved into a central role in Jewish life during this time. Far from home, cut off from the temple, from the familiar landscape, foods and practices, things like the Psalms and Sabbath practice became defining for their common life. Oddly, in other words, Jewish identity was deeply reforged in a time of displacement. Here, I, I wonder if we aren't in the midst of a time and experience that has at least some parallels to Israel's exilic experience. In a landmark essay entitled, Rethinking Church Models Through Scripture, Walter Brueggemann suggests that there are powerful parallels between Israel's exilic experience and the current place of the church in an increasingly secular and post-Christian society. He notes three facets that make this connection. First of all, in Babylon, the community of faith had to live in a context where it exercised little influence over public policy. Secondly, the temptations to cultural syncretism and the disappearance of a distinct identity were acute. And third, in the face of political irrelevance and social syncretism, a main task of the community was to work very hard and intentionally at the cultural linguistic infrastructure of the community. Now, in different ways, all three of these facets are increasingly present now in a social and cultural context that isn't much interested anymore in what we might have to say about public policy and in which many who once saw the church as being an anchor are now more interested in all manner of things spiritual but not religious that are served up in the media and the marketplace. It used to be that the Bishop of Rupert's Land was automatically a member of the Manitoba Club. And the Manitoba Club in that day was all men. There was a side entrance for the women in a particular dining room the women could use, but it was a men's club. The political leaders, the business leaders, the publisher of the free press, they were all members of the Manitoba Club, as was the Bishop of Rupert's Land automatically. That ended in about 1975. And if they wanted to join now, they could pay the full fare, but nobody would much notice them. Different world. So what did Israel do? Well, in exile, they worked hard at the recovery of memory 
and rootage and connectedness. As a community at the brink of despair came the intense practice of hope. The rhetoric of the community filled its imagination with the quite concrete promises of God. And they became an increasingly textual community, meaning that they soaked themselves in text and story, including those psalms that they'd begun to collect together and the deep histories carried in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings that were unafraid to address the disaster that kingship had become. Oh, and they paid deep attention to the writing of people like Jeremiah, too, of course, who was able to first name the disaster that the old Jerusalem and its corrupt monarchy had become, and then dare to envision a new beginning. You might remember from a number of weeks ago when we began our way through Jeremiah and his initial calling was that God would work with him and call him to send this message that God would pluck up and pull down, destroy and overthrow, build and plant. And much of the book, I mean almost 95% of the book that bears his name is all about pulling down. But here today we have that golden glimpse of the instructions meant to build and plant. Seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile, which should resonate with us as much here today as it did with those Israelite exiles all those centuries ago. For in that city's welfare, you will find your welfare. In this city's welfare, we will find our welfare. That's why we should care about the person who lives next door or across the hall in your apartment building. That's why it's worth stopping to pick up those bits of garbage that have landed on the sidewalks in front of our homes. That's why people living on riverbanks and in bus shelters should make us think about longer-term solutions, not just quick, move-along sorts of answers. That's why we should all vote in the upcoming civic election. Do your homework. Look at what those mayoral candidates are standing for, representing, dreaming of, seeing, and vote accordingly. That's why we should keep seeking ways to serve our God, not only in our church on Sunday night, but in our homes, on our streets, in our city, day by day by day by day. This is good and challenging news for a people who affirm the glory of God, even in a world that has, seems to have forgotten the depths of that glory. That was Israel in exile, and that's us here now today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, 
visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.